0: Hey everybody, I'm Zach. And I'm Jesse. And you're watching In-Depth on Now You Know. Sponsored by A Better Route Planner. Congratulations to A Better Route Planner for reaching 10 million routes planned. And now they're releasing version 3.8, which will have better speed limits, better alternate routes, more cars, and they're bringing back the good old navigation mode. Need A Better Route Planner? A AbetterRoutePlanner.com and brought to you by Build Your Own Robot Kit, or Bior. Bring robotics to the kids' level. And with new designs uploaded every week, you can get your EcoWare gear and help support the show. And you know, of course, that we plant a tree for every tea. And we're going to be in Austin in February for Fully Charged Live. Um, We have a discount code so you can buy tickets for 15% off. The link is in the description down below. So Bloomberg just did a big survey of Model 3 owners. In fact, they surveyed 5,000 Model 3 owners, and we've got a lot of data to go through here. So we thought that we'd crunch through the numbers with you guys and share with you what they've found. So this was a 164-item questionnaire so this is not like a well do you like the car yes no this is uh very deep very in depth This is like an sat of surveys <laughs> yes uh, i don't think it's i don't think it's time limited but uh certainly you know people's time has to factor into this so we're going to be talking through uh parts one through three um no part, why not part four part four was supposed to come out this morning uh, the for the time of recording um but they just they, they pushed it off they a week. pushed it off Hmm. Must have been on Elon time. Hmm. So just keep in mind that there are over 350,000 Model 3s out on the road in the world today. Um, and we're just talking about 5,000 Model 3 owners who filled out this survey. It's a small subset of all the Model 3 owners in the world, but it is the largest uh, survey that we're currently aware of. All right, so the first part of the survey is about quality and reliability. To sum it up, Bloomberg found that there was a peak in dissatisfaction around February 2019. You can see here on the chart that that's when it peaked with 101 defects per 100 cars. Now, can you explain that for a second? Because does that mean there's over one defect per car? Um, according to the people who filled out the survey, yes, there was there was a, a defect rate of 101%, um, which is definitely not good. And keep in mind when this was, so this was Q1 of of this year and that's when tesla started shipping uh model threes to europe and to asia so tesla had stopped delivering cars in the u.s at that point pretty much so this is almost all european and chinese cars um getting delivered and keep in mind that tesla was having problems with deliveries they'd never put cars on ships in these numbers before and so there were a lot of cars showing up with little minor uh Usually exterior paint issues, chips, scratches, dents, and and some panel gap problems. And this is what the survey showed: that that basically most of these complaints were small exterior paint issues, um, chips and scratches and, and dents. Now we have a lot of experience with this because you know, as a YouTube channel, we get contacted by people when they're either happy or unhappy with their deliveries, and a lot of times we'll say, "Well, you know, send us a picture of what you're unhappy with." And a lot of times uh, what, what you're unhappy with when you pick up your car is that it's not absolutely showroom perfect and I get that, you're putting down a lot of money on a car, but I think when, when the average person hears about, oh my gosh, scratches and chips, you know this is horrible, right. they're not realizing that most of these problems are things that are pretty much unnoticeable. They could be in the trunk area, they could be in a door well, they could be really low on the car, someplace that maybe if you drove off the lot within 10 minutes, you'd be getting a little scratch or a chip there anyway. Mm. Now, the next part of the survey talked about service and charging. So let's first talk about service. The majority of people are satisfied with Tesla service, especially mobile service. And um, I can attest to this. I mean, getting mobile service, you feel like you are like a hot ticket because guy comes to your place of work or where you live, fixes it right in the driveway or the parking lot and then is on their way. You didn't have to, you know, schedule to have a friend come drive you to any kind of service center to drop off the car and then drive you to work and then drive you back to the service center. So I can totally see why most people are very happy with mobile service. Not only that, but they're always, I mean, I've never heard of any other story where they're not the most super duper people in the world. Like they're always super friendly, super knowledgeable, so that even if they can't solve your problem or something, you don't get that situation where, you know, we're kind of used to with a lot of mechanics where it's like, yeah, what's the problem? They're always super nice. Super nice and super professional, yeah. absolutely. And you can see that the uh, customer service online and the customer service by phone is nowhere near as close to the mobile service uh, fleet because the the sad thing here is that there's no comparison. Right. right? So my first car that I ever owned I think it was a Nissan Xterra and the first time I had to get it repaired I remember calling the repair shop and I still remember this it was the most jarring and stressful experience I've ever had you, you pick you call them and you just get the, what do you want and maybe this is just a Massachusetts thing maybe the you know but it's it, I've never had a pleasant experience you go in you drop off the car you have to fill out all of the, the, the paperwork and everything like that it's I, I wouldn't rate it very satisfied, <laughs> right? It's not like traditional auto manufacturers have made this part of the process, this you know smooth and wonderful experience. So I think that a, a side-by-side comparison, uh, it might be frustrating to have to deal with uh, Tesla service online. It is nice to do it in an, in an app. I know that I'm a millennial and I don't like talking to people because uh, like basically all of us have social anxiety. I don't know why that is. But regardless, it's nice to be able to just write it all into an app. It's written down. You're not telling someone over the phone who maybe is writing it down or maybe is just talking to you. And so the the data shows that most people are pretty satisfied with online and phone service. I just would have liked to have seen Bloomberg have a side by side. It's great to have data, but unless you can put it in context, it doesn't mean a whole lot. So it would have been great to show like, well, here's how people thought of the Model 3 service, and here's how people thought of the Porsche service right. or the Audi service. Because this is the only car that Bloomberg has ever done anything for. Now, I understand right. why it's a very new and influential car, but it would be cool to have some side-by-side comparison. Now, let's take a look at not just the satisfaction, but satisfaction over time. Yeah, I mean, Bloomberg says dissatisfaction on the rise. uh, And what, what, so what is this showing us? What's the first chart showing us? Basically, the way that it looks is that uh, repair shops are starting to get full of Model 3s. So that pushes out the timelines and it means that these places are rushing and they might not necessarily be fixing everything Uh, to customer satisfaction. Now it's important to note here that these service appointments aren't necessarily from delivery, that these can be from, oh, I backed into my tree i dinged it you know i scratched up my the side of my car against a bush right i need to put winter tires on it like yeah um so yeah it it is a little confusing because if you're looking at this like oh my gosh this is all because of you know problems with the car right no every car needs to be brought in for service from time to time for whatever reason and there's just more and more teslas now elon has tweeted out that service center expansion is at max Speed, So they are trying to put as many repair shops, qualified repair shops out in the world as possible. Um, But as we can see here, they're not necessarily 100% keeping up with demand. And that's a useful statistic. So there's three charts coming up here under service and charging. The first one is showing average service appointments per 100 cars, and it looks like a pretty good trend. Yeah, so as you can see, it's going down. So as more cars get put on the road, a smaller and smaller percentage of them need to get serviced so as tesla ramps up production of the model 3 uh they're fixing things on the line they're finding out what the problems are they're getting feedback from customers and they're actually able to make the lines to put out a higher quality car yep Uh, the panel gaps are getting tighter i mean we've heard this we just recently went to a collision repair shop here in massachusetts where they work on dozens and dozens of teslas and what we heard was yeah the the tolerances are getting better the the quality is getting better they're learning i mean let's be honest here folks uh they're pumping out a brand new model car and they're not like the big auto manufacturers who have had decades to get this right. They've had just a few years to get this right. Right. So then the next graph we're looking at here is lost time after crash. And so you can see that this is coming down from 41 days down to about 18 days. The white bar is uh, the days waiting for parts. And the blue bar is the days while the car is unavailable. So basically they follow pretty much in a line together. Yeah. And as you can see, that has actually been decreasing, which is a really good indicator that Tesla is ramping up production of uh, spare parts that they're going to need for crash Teslas. And that basically uh, service centers are getting even better and better at doing that work. And we just heard this ourselves from a, an auto body place, which said that Tesla is rolling out a, a new program where they're trying to get at least half the parts out within 24 hours. And then the third chart here is, well, this one's not so great. This is get in line. So this is uh, the, the time that you have to wait for your service appointment. So the interesting part here is that waiting for your parts and waiting to have your car fixed that time is going down, and the number of cars that need to be serviced is also going down, but the wait times are still increasing. Now, that is simply a product of the production of the Model 3. There are so many Teslas going out on the road that even though a smaller portion of them are getting into accidents or need service, and even though the service centers are getting faster and faster at getting the parts and fixing them, there are still enough cars that it is starting to gum up the system, and so Tesla really does need to focus on getting more service centers. And more ranger services. So the next part of the survey was asking about people's happiness with uh, charging. This first uh, chart is weird because they labeled it as satisfaction with charging options. And yet the three questions all had to do with superchargers. Almost like they didn't understand what superchargers are. But I mean, take a look at this data. Basically, everyone is satisfied with superchargers. A 4.5 out of 5 is a really good score. And that's for you know both availability, affordability, and supercharger speeds. Now, what I wanna talk about here is that most of these survey people uh, were surveyed soon after they got their cars. And I would argue that when you buy a normal car, a normal ICE car, uh, 30 days after you bought it, you pretty much know everything you need to know about the car. You've used the windshield wipers, you've gone to a gas station. And, with, every, and you've been to a gas station before you bought the car, most likely. Exactly, you know about the procedure. But with the Tesla, 30 days after you bought the car, you may not still fully understand supercharging. I know I didn't, um, because you need to kind of go on a road trip with it and do some serious supercharging to get to appreciate it. So to ask that question, you might be getting a lot of people who are like, yeah, I don't know, it's whatever, instead of being like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Or you have people who say, well, there isn't a supercharger within like, you know, a 30 mile radius of me, so therefore it's not useful. But as soon as they need to travel outside of that 30 mile radius, they're going to be using superchargers along their route. And I think that the most important thing to nail down with this with this chart is that supercharging is not a gimmick. Mm. It is not the kind of thing where it's like, oh, it, it's it's this fancy thing, but you're never gonna use it. People use supercharging and it is extremely useful and it is extremely strategically placed in order to get people around in their Teslas. That's a really good point because, I mean, I know that on most car dealership lots, when you go in there, they I throw around all these terminologies of things like, oh, we've got the Ford instruction file and the and the, and the clear and the clear coat underbody <laughs> spray, right? And things that you were like, oh, okay, and right. then you leave the lot and you never hear about it again because it's not a real thing. Superchargers are things that you hardly even hear at the, at the showrooms, and yet that's what's really going to make the difference owning this car is the supercharger network. But, you know, when we were just recently at this auto body place and uh, they see lots of Teslas and talk to lots of owners, um, they said that many owners had never supercharged. So that means that a lot of these people on this uh, survey who probably put down like neutral or whatever because they didn't know much about it, um, it's only because they didn't know much about it. And then the next part of this chart here is uh, again, more satisfaction with charging options. I feel like they had a typo um, because this is talking about kind of all the different pieces. So let's look at the first one here, charging convenience versus gasoline cars. 4.67. That's that's really, really good. You would expect that if it were- equal or on par that we would be looking at a 2.5 right a 4.67 means that it is more convenient to be charging your car than it is to fill up a gas tank. and this is the biggest problem people have with evs that they say before they buy one they're like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to charge it right it takes so long to charge uh you sleep and if we look at the answers for people who primarily use a home charger you can see that that number goes up to 4.75 wow that's, that is a very high rate. Um, people who use a work charger, we're talking about, a, again, a 4.5. People who only rely on superchargers are down at a 3.91. Now, using a supercharger to charge your car all the time is not the way it was intended to work. No. A supercharger is supposed to get you on long-distance travel. It's not supposed to be your everyday choice. Right. So I can understand that if you're stuck in some kind of situation where your apartment won't let you charge your car and you have to go to a supercharger that's maybe 10, 15 miles away, that's going to be inconvenient for you. And that's why Tesla has installed urban superchargers, which charge at 72 kilowatts, better for your battery. And that way you can, if you're in a city, charge there more often without hurting your battery. So this next chart we're looking at is design and performance. So this is talking about basically all of the different uh, aspects of driving the car and what you think of the look. And look at this. Driving enjoyment. Driving enjoyment at a 4.97. Okay, (laughs) we're talking about 5,000 people. 4.97 means that statistically speaking we're probably uh, looking at more misclicks right. than people who don't like driving the car right then if we look at basically everything else battery range at a 4.9 interior appearance exterior appearance brakes seats storage space climate view of the road and interior materials all rated above a 4.5 yeah. that is super impressive i mean porsche look out this isn't even Tesla's top of the line car. Exactly. This is Tesla's like bottom of the barrel, practically. I mean, these <laughs> well, are the it cheapest, is I these, mean, these are the cheapest cars that Tesla sells. And so to have this level of satisfaction with all drivers, driving perform driving enjoyment, because people can talk about performance all they want, right? They could say, oh, but the Porsche, you can, you can throw it around, it's so much lighter. Driving enjoyment is really an important factor to consider when when you're talking about driving a car, because let's face it, you don't buy a car to put it onto a racetrack every day and throw it around a bunch of corners. You're going to be driving it on public roads, public streets, public highways. Yeah, that's the work. That's the majority of what everyone is doing. So driving enjoyment is super duper important. And to have it at a (laughs) 4.97. I know. I... This is again where I'd like to see Bloomberg just show us some numbers for some other car companies cuz I don't think you'd see numbers like this. Yeah. Oh, I want to see the Prius. I want to see the Corolla. I want to see the Civic. I want to see I want to see BMWs. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. You have the survey and clearly you have the the technology to compile it. You could be, you know, throwing out one of these every month if they wanted to. Yeah. So let's get to the next graph, which is features. Again, very, very highly rated features here. We're talking over the air updates 4.87 extremely high people are very satisfied with over-the-air updates i well, think and, that and, and just to point out this is a feature that no other car has now like porsche tycan has announced that they have over-the-air updates coming soon but they're not the same kind of update they're not something you're going to notice as an owner of the car right it's not going to be oh now you have uh, youtube and netflix on your car or we put a new game on your car right. um, or now you can auto summon your car Exactly. Uh, That I think is why that is rated so highly is because people actually have seen the value of their car go up. And this is within owning the car for just a month or two. Right. Next, we're looking at touchscreen controls. That's amazing. I mean, we're talking that's phone level of touchscreen control uh, satisfaction. Uh, Because if you've been in any other car with a touchscreen, I'm pretty sure you can agree. It's pretty lackluster. Right. You get that kind of like you know where it like Did it, I you it? push it in. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It's not really a touch. It's like you really are touching it. It's not some magical screen that knows everything. Right. Sound system. I, I honestly expected that to be higher. Sound system in my car makes me cry sometimes. I know. It makes me cry, and I'm, I'm and I'm like a hundred feet from the car. <laughs> I mean, I will be listening to you know like the Star Wars soundtrack, which if you haven't listened to in a Model Three. Uh, it's it gives it so much more depth, seriously, sound system. L- let's go on to uh, maps and directions. Obviously you have a huge screen in the car. Can I go back to maps and directions? Yeah. Once you've driven in a Tesla and then you get into your friend's car, you're like- Where are we? How are we gonna How- get there? <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I love about having a giant map next to me is that I can explore so much better. When when I like type in a destination and we're like, okay, we're going there, instead of just being like, All right, we'll take the highway and then we'll get off and then we'll drive the main road, I can be like, Oh, we'll just take this road, then this road, then this road, then this road, then this road, drive a path that I've never driven before, even though it's only five miles from my house. I'm like, I have never been down this street before. Look at that beautiful house. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful drive this I mean, is. on every other car to get in and out of a map, you have to, you know, hit a plus button and wait, and then a minus button and wait. Right. To With be able the- to just zoom out, <laughs> like, wow. And to be able to see things from the satellite view of like, what kind of building is that? Yeah. Let's go find out. That yeah. is so much fun and it adds so much to the car. Phone app. I think that a lot of people don't fully know how to use their phone app. Yeah. Um, but again, it's rated at four point five seven. What other cars? I mean, there are some other cars that have phone apps, but generally you can't do anything with them other than maybe start your car and unlock uh, your car. unlock your car. Mm-hmm. So it's weird here that people wouldn't give this just a five out of five because. You can do so much more with this phone app. You can now summon your car out of a parking space. Or if you have full self-driving, you can auto-summon the car to you. Right. And talking about features that no other car has, sentry mode. No other car has it. You can even put a dash cam in your car. It's not going to do everything that sentry mode can do. Right. Automatic windshield wipers. That one, I would honestly, I would fall into the neutral or the slightly dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied dissatisf- uh you know thing i understand but unlike being stuck with it for a certain model of your car this is improving they're getting better like as i've owned it it has been getting better it's not perfect yet but it's getting better uh next is voice commands and this is something that I have nothing to complain about with voice commands. I can say words that I'm like, there's no way it's going to get that because you'll give it some name and then it gets it. Right. You can say the name of a restaurant and it will find it and it will take you there. Now, I can't, you know, give it voice commands to adjust the climate control or to open a website on the browser or anything like that. Um, And that is where I think that there is a lot of room for improvement. But again, most cars don't have too many other voice commands. So this next chart is pretty interesting. First of all, because it's not really a chart. They just threw a lot of, it looks like a lot of blue dots on a. Uh, Blue dots would have been a little bit more helpful than a bunch of, of squares. Uh, different colored squares. Well, well, what is this showing us? This is showing us battery degradation. I think the only thing that you can really glean from this is that orange dotted line, which is the kind of average battery degradation of the Model 3 over uh, miles. And so the other line below it is Model S. Correct. But that's the 2014. That's the 2014 Model S. You'll notice that the Model 3 is better than the 2014. Now, they're getting this Model S data from the Dutch-Belgium Tesla Forum. So... It's not going to have quite as many data points as the Model Three, so that comparison is a little uh, wonky. And it says that the Model Three retains battery capacity better than older generation electric cars, but they're only comparing it to Teslas. So they right. really should have said compared to older Teslas, right? Because, because if you, yeah, if you put a Leaf on here, it's a you're going to see a curve that's going to go completely different story. My Leaf is a, at about uh, eighty thousand miles, and it's a at about. battery capacity, which isn't even on this graph. Right, it would be down here at the bottom. So if that's any indication at how good the Model 3 uh, battery degradation is, uh, that would have been a much better comparison in my opinion. But look at that orange line for a second and look at about 25,000 miles and on. Um, It's flat. Exactly. So, I mean, yes, you're getting battery degradation as you would you'd expect, mm-hmm. but then it just flattens out, and it flattens out at about 97 percent. Right. And it's important to keep in mind that there's a reason that Tesla has so low battery degradation, and that is the battery management system. Right. Okay. It's keeping the temperatures of your batteries at safe levels to prevent degradation. It's preventing. Uh, two fast charging speeds, it's charging it very efficiently, very smart. So even if you are supercharging, um, it, you know, which definitely wears on the battery a lot more than regular charging, it's, it's still better than most other car brands have been able to come out with. Right. And that's again, because Tesla's been working on this for so long. Now their section on autopilot, and they said, we asked 5,000 Model 3 owners about Tesla's software for automated driving on highways and parking lots. More than 90% said the feature makes them safer. So think about that for a second. Tesla's come up with a feature that no one else has, that 90%, nine out of 10 of their customers says, makes them feel safer. Right. here, And then they go on and they said that 13% of owners say Autopilot has put them in a dangerous situation. But then at the, on the same, In the same area, they say that 28% say that autopilot has saved them from a dangerous situation. So I wanna put this in perspective because a lot of people reading this Bloomberg article won't have a Tesla yet and they're not understanding. They're like, oh my gosh, 13% of owners says it, put them in a, a dangerous situation. And dangerous situation is a very, very vague term uh, especially when we're talking about autopilot, which people have never experienced before. So I would like to liken autopilot to letting your 16-year-old drive your car, and many times they'll put you in a dangerous situation. Uh, that Ralph will be driving along, and he'll take a turn too fast, and you'll be like, Whoa, Ralph! In this case, Ralph is driving, let's say, in your lap so that you can grab the steering wheel and the brake, and so you just take over for Ralph. That's what autopilot is. And that's what your job is. That's right. what you are, you are supposed to do is when you're in autopilot, you are still the driver. The the car is driving itself, but you are supposed to take over if there is a problem. Now now look at this data chart they gave us next, which is this big uh complicated blocks system of blue and pink and red. Um, And I get, what are these? These are different stories that people have? These are all different experiences that people have had. The blue ones, obviously very good. The orange ones are bad. And the deep orange ones, there are only three, are actual accidents. So let's pull up these three different ones. So let's start with, with the first one here. Okay. I fell asleep behind the wheel. I was traveling across a highway interchange at relatively slow speeds. The car kept me in the lane centered, but the car in front of me veered to the right side of the lane, and I think the radar locked onto the car in front of them and accelerated. I hit the driver's side of their bumper with the passenger side of my car. And he gave it four stars. He gave autopilot four stars. He fell asleep. Oh, yeah, that was the first sentence. He fell asleep behind the wheel now let me just ask you what happens if you fall asleep behind the wheel in any other car you are toast you're toast you're gonna you're going to either hit something or you're gonna fly off the road there's not too many other options most cars don't detect that you're sleeping and they don't drive themselves so you're basically just in an unguided ground missile that's going to hit something yeah let's go on to the next one yeah failed to slow sufficiently for tight bend crossed center line hit a truck four stars um again if If, you are driving the car yeah if if ralph is taking the turn too fast you take over for ralph you don't watch as ralph takes the turn too fast hey what are you doing there ralph wait are you smashing into a truck let me see the brakes are right there the steering wheel's right there you're sitting in the in the freaking driver's seat you can take over so again this i mean sure should autopilot have smashed into a truck no but is it Autopilot's full responsibility to drive the car 100%? No. No. And that's right. You can't drive autopilot without accepting something that that basically makes you read something that tells you that that is not what autopilot is supposed to do. So it is your responsibility to take over if you're going over the line. And the third and final one here. Autopilot was engaged. I wasn't paying attention. False sense of security is one issue that comes with autopilot. All owners must be and not get complacent. Someone pulled in front of me and the car ran right into them three stars so in all three of these cases the driver was either not paying attention or didn't take over when they noticed something was wrong or asleep (laughs) or asleep (laughs) and so those are the only three cases that they've found where autopilot actually hit something it's it's it again is not a driver yet it is a driver assistance feature and you are supposed to be monitoring it and taking over. I'm, when I'm an autopilot, I'm constantly taking over for it. It's not because I know that it's going to hit a car, it's because I'm cautious. And that is the way that everyone should be driving is cautiously. It's a computer on wheels. And we call it that for a reason. And anyone who's used to computers knows that you can't completely rely on software, especially when it's beta software, which is what this is. And especially when the computer programmers tell you not to rely on it. Let's go on to some actual aggregated data here. Okay. So let's look at autopilot safety. So it gets a 4.49 average score. Most people are very satisfied with autopilot safety. They are... Thinking that the car is doing it very safe. And again, this is soon after buying the car. And I would argue that you need most people need a bunch of days driving nonstop with autopilot before you start to really get it. I mean, it took my father six days of driving nonstop across country before he fully understood it and then loved it. Right. The first five days, he was afraid of it. And honestly, it's Always going to be scary the first few times you turn it on. It's going to be terrifying because you have never experienced anything like this before. Right. Let's go into the next one. I don't exactly know what autopilot means since we just covered autopilot safety, but it got rated slightly lower at a four point four three. Full self driving got even lower. I don't know what that means because the cars aren't full self driving. Fully self driving isn't a feature. So again, I I don't know what they're talking about. Then navigate on autopilot uh, reliability. I would agree with this number, 3.89, I would agree. Uh, The drive on nav, it's not perfect yet. It's definitely amazing. It's not something that I would rely on to get me to a destination because, let's face it, it's it's not necessarily uh, drive on nav's fault. A lot of highways are built really stupid. And phantom braking, I think, is one reason which Bloomberg brings up next as to why people may not give the highest marks yet to autopilot. So Bloomberg says a driver from Florida reported an experience of inexplicable braking by the autopilot feature on his Model 3. An instant later, the vehicle ahead swerved out of the lane to reveal a stopped car. Tesla's sensors had detected the upcoming hazard and acted without human input to avert a crash. This was before this driver actually realized it, it it appeared to be phantom braking. And this this does happen. So let's just talk, let's explain what phantom braking is. This is when you're driving along, everything seems to be normal, and for whatever reason, the car applies stiff braking uh, to the car. So you're driving along, and all of a sudden it goes, and you're like slowing down. And most of the times you kind of have to take over. You have to basically slam on the accelerator. It's nice that you have the acceleration so that the person behind you doesn't uh, ram into you because you're stopping for what seems like no reason. We don't know exactly why this happens. I'm not a software expert here. It could have to do with a radar ping that correlates with some change in the road surface. It often seems to happen when there's shadows. And people who experience this in autopilot this is usually what turns them off to it. And they say, Oh, sure. I don't want to use it because it, it it uh it sometimes it phantom breaks. You know, I do the same thing. So yes. I mean, I'm a cautious driver and sometimes I'll be thinking a lot about like deer. It's evening and I'll be mm-hmm. like, Okay, be on the alert for deer. Be on the alert. And then, you know, after a few minutes of being on the alert, you're kind of everything's fine again. And then just something'll catch your eye and you'll be like, Whoa! And it was nothing. It wasn't a deer. But your brain was just like being super cautious. And so that's kind of what it's doing. It's being super duper cautious, which, yeah, it's not fun if you're a passenger in the car to be like thrown around, thrown around for around. no reason. But like we all as humans do that too. Right. And it's important to realize that this is an evasive maneuver that could, in in the case of this Florida driver, be preventing a crash. It does have sensors that are doing a lot more than what your eyes can do because it has radar. You do not have radar in your head. You can't be looking for metal in front of you. It's just something that doesn't happen. In today's society, we all drive horrifically close to one another. Mm -hmm. If you were to take video footage of, you know, the 405 in LA and show it to someone from let's say the 1930s, I think they would faint. Yeah, because there's no reason that we should be driving this close. It's just that if we don't drive this close, our society will fall apart. You'll never get home. So, well, not it, that society will fall apart. It's just well, that, no, pretty much. I mean, the, the highway system is designed so that you have to keep the steady flow going, or else no one could get home on time. If you actually gave the amount of space you should give between the car in front of you it would feel weird. Like everyone would be like, what's going on? And, mm. and people would just cut you off and it would fill that space up. Right. But if you had that much space in front of you and you phantom braked, or you just decided to come to a complete halt on the highway, there would be no accidents because everyone would have time to react. Well, and also if people were not uh, texting and if they weren't drinking and if they weren't high and if they weren't just nodding off or just being humans and having only two eyes that always look in the same direction and just not being able to see everything and not having great reaction times which is completely different than the Tesla. It actually does have better sensors, more cameras and faster reaction times than we do. That's a good point. I mean, when you're letting your 16-year-old drive the car, as I call it, that 16-year-old is not going to be texting. It's a, right. It's this not texting, (laughs) radar-enabled, multi-eyed 16-year-old. Who's always paying attention. All right, so the next part of the survey is about Smart Summon. And 70% of owners say that Smart Summon is a useful feature and 41% say it is reliable enough for the average driver. Now, I don't exactly know what that means, reliable enough. It's nothing that you really ever need to depend on. No, this is, I mean, a brand new feature and you're supposed to, let's just remind ourselves, you have a dead man switch on the app. You have to be holding your finger on that and you're supposed to be paying close attention. You can't initiate smart summon unless you're within a certain radius. I believe right. it's about 250 feet. If your car does anything wrong, it's on you because you weren't supposed to initiate it if there was any question. And while it's in operation going super slow, I might add, you just take your finger off, the car comes to a complete stop. Anything that strikes the car is pretty much going to have to be moving itself. And let me also stress, this wasn't a feature that they rolled out and it's like your 2019 uh, Model 3, this is how it will do auto summon for the rest of time. This is the beginning. This is the baby version it's of it. It's the first rollout of Right. It. It's going to get better. And it's already at 70%. So let's take a look at some data here. 75% of people say that it navigates well, which is... Pretty impressive, again, for a new feature. Yep. Avoids pedestrians, 95%. And uh, Jesse can attest to that because he runs in front of it I, all the time. I jump in front of the car <laughs> and it stops every single time. Avoids other cars, 90%. Stops immediately, 98%. So if there was any question that the dead man switch works, that's it. Limitations clearly explained. 81% of people say that that's true. And so I would say that that's pretty fair. It it's is. 81% of people, I mean, you, you can put all the directions you want on uh, any product and if you got eighty-one percent of the people reading it, I think that that would be a pretty. That would be a pretty successful uh, little label you had there. So let's talk about this survey in general. Okay, it, it's first of all, it's very helpful to gauge people's uh, response and reactions to the Tesla Model Three, and on the whole, extraordinarily positive. Again, we don't have a comparison to any other car on the road. We do not have a 5,000 applicant, 167 point uh, survey for any other car. For every one of these data points, it's just one data point and we have nothing else to to compare it to. But you know what was going through my head the whole time was that this is Bloomberg. And we know, unfortunately, that Bloomberg has been very fuddy when it comes to Tesla. So I had to take a lot of this data with a grain of salt. I mean, even though it was almost all positive, I was like, would it have been even more positive had they read the data differently? And this is to my point here. So near the end of section three, they've got all these data points floating around. And if you hover over one of them, up comes a box. And this is what some owner said about the car. But but that's how they organize the data in this very confusing, all these boxes, by the way, are moving. I took a snapshot of it, but they're all moving. Except for some of them. Except for the three crashes, which we already read through. And in which case, all drivers weren't paying attention and taking over. They keep those crashes on screen all the time. Static. They're always on top and they're always not moving. And they're orange on a blue and light orange backdrop. So we took a look at some of the um, statements made by people to see if, well, did they really fall in the right category? So here are seven of them. So this is talking about Smart Summon. I testing it by using Smart Summon to pull the car out of my garage to my location in my driveway, and the car tried to turn too early towards me, hitting front right quarter panel against the side of my garage, causing minor damage to the car. So again, in this case, that, that sucks that the car did that. You do have the dead man switch. Right. Given it is clearly noted as beta release, I feel like your questions are assuming way too much. Why'd they stick that in this section? Why then? is this an answer? This is a, clearly a piece of feedback. I like it, but seems a little gimmicky. So this, again, is in the slightly dissatisfied section uh, of but, owners. But he likes it. He likes it. He just doesn't think that there's too much use for it. I only tested it in a giant empty lot. Yet it's in a slightly dissatisfied car- category. Why? It's scary and from a faraway angle, hard to determine if it's doing the right thing. You're too far away from the car. Yeah. I mean, you're he- supposed to clearly be able to see the car. So this is someone who's not using it properly. Now, a useful data point, maybe, but one that you shouldn't include in your data set? I don't know. Limited experience so far. Only used it a couple of times in a test environment. Again, we're not getting, and I know that this is all surveys, right? You can't have a survey with 100% great data. But, I mean, if you're going to release a survey with 167 data points, and according to them, they got over half a million words of feedback, which, in their words, meant enough to fill the first four Harry Potter books, shouldn't you be reading through some of these? Shouldn't you be throwing away some of the crappy data that you get? I mean, I, okay, I, Harry Potter book, wow, gee, that's a lot of of, of reading. But, but yeah, but I, you're Bloomberg, right? Yeah, you I have mean, people, and and... A Harry Potter book does seem daunting. When I was 10, I was reading a Harry Potter book a night to to say, like, so much words. It's not that much words. You're Bloomberg. You have people who you pay to read through this stuff. But I got to wonder, I mean, did they put some interns on this and they just put them in the wrong categories? Because, I mean, this next one, it's better than many humans I know. Alas, that's damning with faint praise. Okay, so you just got through saying it's better than many humans you know. So why are you in the dissatisfied what's the bar here? What are you expecting the car to to, do? You wanted it to be better than all humans you know and all cars you know, like what? Overall, I'm super glad that we have all this data. I'm super glad that we can uh, cull through it and not just look at all the aggregated points, but actually get in and see how some of the data points might be a little skewed. What what I wanna know from you guys is if you put on your glasses of being just a normal person who didn't know much about Tesla and you read these articles, would you feel that it was like, oh, this is an exciting car, I wanna know more, or would you be scared? Because the way that the articles are written, um, the way that uh, they present some of the data it is skewed it is slightly uh, off of how a scientific a completely unbiased uh, person would write about it and if you're going to be an unbiased source you need to you need to explain the data you need to show that this is impressive and by having no other, car manufacturer comparison of like here's a satisfaction rate they didn't pull any other you know there are other measurements of satisfaction rates with other car brands right jd powers is full of data they could have you know listed some data from other cars right so all you have to do is say here is our source it's jd power here are the satisfaction reports here's porsche here's vw uh here's ford here's gm put them all together so that we we can see and be and and see for ourselves exactly uh, what it is. The way that this is framed is just a little problematic for me. I know that I uh, love Tesla. I know that I'm biased. And I think that if you're watching this, you probably know that we're a little biased. So you can add as much salt as you want to this. And you can say, ah, okay, I understand that these guys might have their opinions based on, uh, you know, this car. But when Bloomberg comes out with it, you know, they're not called uh, Tesla Time News. They're called Bloomberg, Okay. They're, they're, they don't have a horse in this race, or at least they shouldn't because they are a, a big, huge uh, media empire. Well, I think you just hit it right, the nail on the head there. I mean, a media empire has to pay for itself. We get paid by you guys, our patrons. Right. And that's why we're independent. We're an independent news source that tries to bring you news about what's going on in the world that affects all of us. And we don't let oil companies pay for it. So therefore, you're not hearing what you know, oil companies want us to say. Right. Bloomberg, last time I checked... They were had ads from all sorts of big companies, and I got to imagine that that somehow filters into the reporting. Right. So again, we're just trying to counteract some of the fud that was mixed into uh, these articles and even into the surveys themselves. Um, but overall, even if you just take the surveys, yeah, carte blanche. I think it looks pretty phenomenal. It's, it's extraordinarily phenomenal, and uh, this is just great Thanksgiving conversation. Is uh, you know put. A, Put a couple of these numbers down, maybe maybe uh, write them down in your hand or on a napkin. And that way, when you're having conversations at the dinner table, people are saying, I got a Tesla, no, the autopilot, it's too dangerous. And you say, well, actually, uh, 90% of people think that it makes them safer. That's, uh, that's a pretty useful st- statistic coming from 5,000 people. Thank you so much for joining us this week on In Depth. We'll see you next week. Now you now know. know.